It's go time. You're listening live to Third Down Gamble. First down. It's been a wild week in the Canadian Football League. The herd just got a new quarterback. A GM just got the walking papers. Do we need a third quarterback in each game? Lots more to talk about. Let's get to it. Don Charbon along with Pat Mooney and Heath Graham. A four-game weekend, but let's get to what happened off the field. First and foremost, early, there is a new general manager in Ottawa as Marcel Desjardins is given his walking papers of note. First hire by Ottawa Sports and Gaming Group. Long tenure with the team. Very bitter. Pulled them flat out. They were making a mistake. Were they? In my opinion, it was time for change in Ottawa. It's always tough when you've got that long tenured person who has had success. But if you look at the last two or three seasons, that success has kind of gone away. And with the team that Marcel Desjardins was able to assemble this year, there's some glaring holes and it might be time for a fresh set of eyes at the top in Ottawa. I don't disagree, Heath. I think teams want to win and you give people time to win. So in a rebuilding situation, you've got to realize you're going to take some steps back and move forward. They took a step back last year, having a 3-15 and record in 2019, and then they come forward and only have two wins to this point. Beyond mediocre, that's, that's a bad football team. And at this point, somebody has to own that in Ottawa. And in this case, I think Marcel Desjardins is deservedly fired in this case. Assistant General Manager Jeremy Snyder, who's been with the organization as well from 2013, will assume the interim title of General Manager. And in addition, Jean-Marc Edmé, who's been with the organization since 2016, will become the interim Assistant Manager. Now, the Red Blacks have stated categorically that it's going to be an open competition Everybody that's interested to get the job, the two internal candidates that we do see could be uh, considered as well and may get the job. There's no guarantees one way or the other. Overall, 46-71-2 was the record under Desjardins in Ottawa. Part of that you can blame him for. They did win a Grey Cup with him, and that can't be lost. I think for starting up a new team, Desjardins did very well in that case. Uh, Marcel brought together the Red Blacks. in Within five years, they were in the Grey Cup three times. And to win one of those, that's quite an accomplishment in my mind. I think where he lost the room, and there's been plenty written about this, is when he lost a strong core of his players all seemed to walk and they didn't seem to hold anyone or make some bids on any high-priced free agents for, for a couple of years, to be honest. And I think that's If you're going to rebuild, you need to see some results a little bit quicker than they did. I agree with you, Pat. And I think it could be a case where he was really good at assembling the team in that expansion draft and and signing players in that regard and built a contender within a couple of seasons, got the Grey Cup. But now that you're an established team, maybe he's struggling a little bit on the nuances of keeping that core together. And we saw a lot of players jump ship and end up in Edmonton. Uh, We've seen coaching changes, all those kinds of things come into play. And and it seems to me like he has kind of lost his luster a little bit. 
I don't know if promoting from within, especially when you've got uh, Jeremy Snyder, who's been there with him since day one, is the right move if you're looking for a fresh start. It may be time to look outside the organization and bring somebody else in. This is the time, though, if you're Snyder, that you audition. This is where you take a look at the roster and you make your moves. They want to hire by December. That won't give you a chance at free agency, so your only opportunity is to look at American cuts that are still available. You can't swing any more trades. You've got to do something, though, that would impress Oseg. Controversial points, the Jamie Elizondo affair, where he denied him the opportunity to seek a head coaching job, the loss of his starting quarterback, who now has bounced his way all the way to Montreal, Trevor Harris, there have been some salary fights with that organization over the years that has cost them, and it's Desjardins' prerogative to see fit where he wants to spend the money allotted under the salary cap. All told, I think history will look kindly upon him because he won that Grey Cup, the first in Ottawa in 40 years. Yeah, absolutely, but he's left, in my opinion, he's left the cupboard, the cupboard bare. The players that stand out the most to me right now are a place kicker and a kick returner as far as stars and solid pieces of that team. And that's not something you can really build a team around. It's going to be an interesting offseason in Ottawa for sure because I'm anticipating a lot of player turnover and a new GM is definitely going to put his stamp on it. And it'll be quite the show to see how that all plays out. Interestingly enough, with Paul Lapolice with two more years remaining on his contract after this year, the president is now standing behind him saying he's going to be the coach for some time to come. That handcuffs anyone who's new coming in. In some ways, you can't necessarily bring your own people in and and build the organization maybe in the way you want. So I wonder if that's going to potentially handcuff the Red Blacks in terms of who they might have come in if there's someone who really wants to bring their whole stamp as opposed to continuing with the coaching that they have at this point. I don't know in the CFL if that's as big an issue as it would be, say, in the NFL. The CFL, because we do have a budgetary constriction on the coaches with that coach's cap, you're not going to be able to do too much anyway. Unless the person is completely outside of the CFL to begin with, likely if they've had some CFL connections, they know the people that are already there. So I don't think that's as big an issue as getting to sit down with La Police and saying, what's the direction we need to go? La Police is a bit of a conservative coach. We'll get to that when we get to the game that we saw last week. I do think going back to Heath's point, though, is that uh, whether it's the coach or the GM, the pieces that they have in place right now certainly are not something necessarily to build upon at this point in time. It doesn't look like Caleb Evans is a quarterback, maybe someone to build to in the future. Their line has been decimated, which we'll talk about a bit more in terms of their offensive line. But there doesn't seem to be a lot of key pieces and veterans that you might want to build the program on. So at this point, that GM and the coach, I think, both have their hands tied a little bit in terms of they've got to find out what it is that Ottawa Red Blacks are going to stand for, which pieces are we going to build around, and how do we move forward to become a more successful football team? I think they recognize, as do all of us in the league, that it's a rebuilding opportunity still. But you hate to be in a rebuilding for a third straight year. Ottawa's defense is maybe a player or two away. They need a little bit more in the defensive line, and they might need some more linebacking help. But beyond that, their their secondary is very good. I do agree, though. Their offense, 
the receiving core doesn't scare many people. If Caleb Evans can find his way, I think that's your quarterback of the future. Let's talk more about them, though, when we get to the football game that we did see. The other thing that happened, we talked about it very briefly last week, was that uh, Nick Arbuckle was likely on the move, and he has found a home in Edmonton after the trade Tuesday. Yes, he has a one-year contract, so he's landed there for a conditional third-round pick, and the negotiation rights to quarterback Chad Kelly, who is the nephew of the NFL's Jim Kelly, a famous quarterback in his own right. Definitely something for the Elks to potentially build around here, and the conditional pick is a third round at this point. My understanding is it will move to a second-round pick in the event that Arbuckle resigns. So if he does, this might give Edmonton a quarterback to build around, and we've seen flashes of brilliance from him. He had a a good year in Calgary when he had the opportunity to step in for Bo Levi Mitchell. And uh, we just haven't seen him really recapture that magic to this point. So if he can get into Edmonton, he's got a strong arsenal, I think, of players around him. And if he's able to find success there, this could be his home for some time. In less than two seasons and a cancelled season, Nick Arbuckle is now almost halfway to Kevin Glenn status. This is his fourth team (laughs) He didn't play famously for Ottawa during the cancelled season. I feel kind of bad for the guy. He never really got the chance in Toronto that he was hoping to get. Some hamstring injuries hindered him from getting some starts. McLeod Bethel-Thompson apparently has done enough right now for the Toronto Argonauts to to be their quarterback of choice. And he's still a young quarterback, lots of opportunity ahead of him. And I hope for his sake that Edmonton is the right fit. If I'm Taylor Cornelius, I might be scratching my head going, okay, one week we're getting rid of the guy that was supposed to be ahead of me, and now you're bringing in another guy that could be ahead of me. They're they're very close to being eliminated from playoff contention. You might see Nick Arbuckle work his way in in that nasty stretch of three games in seven days. I think for the player safety's sake, they're going to have to rotate some players in and out, and it might be an opportunity to get him some game time in Edmonton and build towards what next year is going to be. Taylor Cornelius has at times looked solid in there as a quarterback, but he certainly hasn't used a lot of those weapons that he has available to him on offense to strike a lot of fear in people either. So I can certainly see why they want to bring somebody of Nick Arbuckle's caliber in as a a player that is eventually going to be ahead of Cornelius on the depth chart. I do wonder if this is a case of Brock Sunderland, who's under some pressure himself with the way the Elks have underperformed this season. Is this his opportunity to make some changes to try to get some heat off of him as a GM? Because he certainly has what looks like the tools, and yet this team has underperformed this year without a doubt. So at least if you look at two GMs, one in Ottawa basically stood pat with what he had and brought in some new players. And and now you've got Brock Sunderland in Edmonton, who's making a lot of changes, which might be enough to save his job potentially if something comes around. He seems to have a love affair with ex-Ottawa Red Black quarterbacks. Let's get to the football. We started the week Friday night with the uh, Toronto Argonauts playing the Montreal Alouettes. And I'll be honest... I didn't pick this. I couldn't see it coming. The Alouettes absolutely stomp the Argonauts into the ground, winning 37-16. to They win the seasonal series by doing so. And Matthew Schiltz is proving that he's a bona fide starter in Montreal. 12 of 18, 212 yards, two touchdowns against that Argonaut defense. 
In my opinion, this was a real statement game by Montreal. It had playoff implications. They came in and they just did a number on the Toronto Argonauts. Uh, to, to hear the Toronto Argonauts right after that trade away their backup quarterback, I think probably has some Argos fans a little bit concerned because I, I didn't think in Toronto's side that they came out with any compunction for a team that really had a chance to, to maybe move to a more of a stranglehold on first place. But William Standback with his performance, 24 carries for 203 yards and 8.5 yard average was just phenomenal. And it seemed like Matthew Schultz was able to make the connection, particularly with Eugene Lewis, who caught seven of seven of his targets for 156 yards and two touchdowns. That's an impressive game by those two. Matthew Schultz didn't have to do a lot in that one. With Standback getting over 200 yards on the ground, it does wonders for a quarterback's confidence. And he had magic with Eugene Lewis all night. So basically the three players on offense were responsible for, for that win for the most part. Touchdown Jake Wenicke had a rough night. He was targeted three times and at least two of them were catchable balls that he dropped. And all three of them would have been big plays had he caught them as well. So, um, you know, that's three of the incompletions there. And on the other side, McLeod Bethel Thompson threw four interceptions. As you said, Pat, they've now traded away their backup. And if that's the quarterback that's going to be your starter for the rest of the season, the numbers he put up against Montreal were not not starting quarterback worthy. I would change the indefinite article from there to a backup because there is Antonio Pipkin still in the fold for Toronto. And there was a lot of talk that the coaching staff was very happy with his progress with the offense and that he may have warranted the look at being the backup to McLeod Bethel Thompson. 25 of 40 for 291 yards for McLeod Bethel Thompson. But as the guys pointed out, four interceptions. Curly Gittins Jr., a Canadian, caught eight for 116. If there's anything about a Chris Jones defense that I think can be exploited, it's the run game. Toronto, as you mentioned, had first place within their grasp. Now suddenly they're tied for first, but technically in second because the Alouettes have won the seasonal series. As we go through the weekend and we start looking at these games, the East has literally compressed. Other than Ottawa, the other three is flip a coin. and Hamilton's win and Montreal's win certainly tighten things up in that East division. It's really anybody's division at this point. Montreal's got the slight edge having won the season series with Toronto and have one win ahead of Hamilton, but they have a couple of tough games coming up against Winnipeg as well. So if they go on a little bit of a slide, somebody else can take over first in a heartbeat. I love it because it's going to make all these games meaningful as we finish this last bit of the season. So the East is going to be uh, an area to watch. I'm excited for these games. We chronicled early in the season how Montreal had put up over 400 yards against the British Columbia Lions and yet couldn't score more. In this game against Toronto, they racked up 443 and tagged them for 37. Now, granted, one was a pick at the end of the game, the defense coming through. Montreal, when they put it all together seem to be the team to beat and maybe the team that could beat Winnipeg in a Grey Cup. It's a question of will they put it all together at the right time. And in the playoffs, you have to do it every time. What's impressed me about this team is that with Matthew Schiltz at the quarterback, they seem to have a little bit more ball control. We've talked before about how Adams is a gunslinger and he puts things up and you can live and die by him. But in the games that we've seen so far, Matt Schiltz has protected the football and they've done fairly well in, in putting together all of these wins. 
Ever since Montreal put Greg Quick in charge of that defensive line, they have gone crazy. Ten sacks against Ottawa. They had McLeod Bethel-Thompson harried and hurried the entire night. Whatever he's done, he has got those guys motivated and, and their adrenaline is just pumping. They've also held the Argonauts to 54 yards rushing total in that game. And were it not for one long run of 19 yards by McLeod Bethel-Thompson, they really had nothing on the ground. John White is a capable CFL running back. He he had four carries for 20 yards in total. The running game was non-existent, and that Alouette's defensive line is a huge part of that. They shut things down and, and didn't give them the chance to run the ball at all. Saturday, the last of the uh, three games in one day scenarios for the uh, CFL in this season. The Ottawa Red Blacks go to Hamilton to take on the Tiger Cats, and after a slow start where neither team scored in the first quarter, and at halftime it was only 8-3 to three for Hamilton, the Tiger Cats totally take over in the second half and run away with a 32-3 to three win over the visiting Red Blacks. Caleb Evans for the Red Blacks, 12-15 of 15 for 138 yards, and of course, what everyone was wondering, would he? And he did, Devlin Hodges, 8-16 of 16 for 49 yards, Combined, the two of them threw for three picks. Meanwhile, on the other side, Mazzoli and Evans. Mazzoli had 25 of 28, just staggering, for 320 yards, two touchdowns, and Dane Evans was one of three for 17. Evans typically played just on short yardage opportunities, but Jeremiah Mazzoli finally looked like the Jeremiah Mazzoli that we saw a couple of years back. He looked comfortable, and when he got it going, he couldn't miss. What stood out to me in the first half of this game was, once again, the Ottawa Red Blacks defense did everything they possibly could to keep the team in the game. And unfortunately, when the offense struggles as much as they do, it catches up to you eventually. And, and the Red Blacks just kind of ran out of gas on defense and Jeremiah Mazzoli lit them up. I'm always a one that has trouble with this defense running out of gas if the offense can't perform because the defense can tune out them just like anybody else. The only difference would be is if there are turnovers and they're really close to your own goal line. Then I could say that the defense gets the excuse because what else could you do? But unless it's crestfallen because the offense isn't performing, why can't you keep Hamilton off the field? They did in the first half. What's to stop you from the remaining 30 minutes? It's just that I think Hamilton made the changes at halftime to pick up on some things that they'd seen and exploited it. Yeah, Hamilton definitely exploded in the second half, and, and their defense played lights out once again. Their defense has been a strength all year, and to allow three points in the game and shut out in the second half, they absolutely made some great adjustments. Uh, on the other side, Ottawa struggled, and their offense has struggled, and I think that goes back to what we mentioned before about the offensive line. Interesting stat that Ottawa has, in 11 games, started 11 different combinations of offensive linemen. It was noted in the uh, Tim Baines, Ottawa Citizen, had pointed that out. And how do you have success with that in the CFL? I think you need to build some continuity. And I, I think that certainly, we've talked about it all year long, continues to be one of the areas of struggle. And that's what leads to 10 sacks in a game or three or four interceptions in a game when that offensive line isn't giving a young quarterback a chance to even pick up a read before he has to get rid of the ball. Mistakes are going to happen. Now, unfortunately for the Tiger Cats, Braylon Addison went down in that football game. Brandon Banks really didn't do anything again, which is just mind-numbing to understand what's going on with that situation. Stephen Dunbar had five receptions. Tim White had three. Banks 
had four, but for 51, it's so far from what we're used to. And I just wonder if the ribs are still bothering him or even that broken collarbone that he had a couple of years ago. Well, we're seeing it even on the kick and punt returns. It's not the same Brandon Banks that we're used to seeing. He had five punt returns for a total of 28 yards. So he's struggling in all aspects right now. And it's it's tough to see a player of that caliber having this kind of almost a throwaway season, I would say, at this point. I think what stood out for me in this game was the the yards after catch. He had only one yard after a catch this time. And we're used to seeing him go downfield and be able to make the first guy miss and pick up a lot of yards after the catch. Uh, he's just not the same player he once was. And, and I think he must still be injured. The middle of the three games on Saturday, the British Columbia Lions were in Brandon to play the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. And that was a big mistake because the Bombers rolled up 45 points before BC realized they were in the wrong stadium. And, oh, sorry, they were in the right stadium. It was just that they forgot that they were playing the Blue Bombers. Winnipeg throttles BC 45 to nothing in a game where we have a lot of talking points with respect to the Lions, the Bombers did what they always do, shut them out in the fourth quarter. I said going into this one that BC was the one team in the West that had a chance to win the season series against Winnipeg, but they had to go into Winnipeg and win by 22 points. Missed it by that much. <laughs> they now lost this, the season series by a total of 66 points. And it was another long night for Michael Riley, longer than he had hoped because Nathan Work came in in relief, got hurt after four pass attempts, and Riley had to come back into the game and finish up. And it was a, a tough night all around for that BC Lions offense, defense, and special teams. Michael Riley goes 15 of 31 for 131 and an interception. Zach Claris, 16 of 20 for 267 and three touchdowns. Yeah, this game was very disappointing for Michael Riley. I mean, he was under pressure most of the game. Once again, BC's offensive line struggled. And to throw less than 50% completion rate is certainly not something we're used to seeing. He's usually able to get in the 60s or above. And I think that shows the dominance of Winnipeg's defense. We're now hearing many people start saying, is this the best defense ever? And it certainly could be the way that they've been going. I'm not sure that there are historical defenses that would compare they certainly have a chance to set a records. In terms of records, they, we, there's a lot of hay being made out of the fourth quarter and the fact that they've given up 0.6 or actually less than that now, points in that fourth quarter on average. There are teams from the mid-1960s, the Hamilton Tiger Cats, that were just juggernauts on defense. I'd like to know how they compared to them before I give away anything. And of course, you can't forget the five-in-a-row Edmonton football teams who had tremendous defenses during that run. It's hard to parse this, but I would easily say that this is the best defense we've seen in probably 15 to 20 years. It's always hard to kind of go across eras as well. The brand of football that they were playing in the 1960s with that Hamilton Tiger Cats defense is far different from the CFL that you see today. I think Willie Jefferson is still trying to find his way to the end zone after an interception. <laughs> That, that defense all around, they've got Brandon Alexander at safety who is just lighting guys up. You can't say enough about that defensive line. Jackson Jeffcoat had another huge night. Willie Jefferson got the interception for the touchdown, and Adam Bighill just continues to be the defensive general out there, kind of steering that ship, and we saw the result. A shutout, if it was not for a missed field goal, 
BC could have had three points, but that was their only threat. Really, the whole night was one field goal attempt and really nothing else that Winnipeg gave up. BC had another opportunity in the third quarter where they were third and nine at the Winnipeg 31. And if they wanted to get rid of the goose egg, they could have kicked the field goal right there and they chose not to. And that just befuddles me to no end. I think the goose egg hurts worse than settling for three and making sure you're not shut out. If you want something to hang over your head, 45 to three isn't as bad as 45 to nothing. Last time the Lions were shut out was 1970 against the Calgary Stampeders. That is a long time ago. Shutouts are quite rare in the CFL, and when you get one hung on you, they hurt. And it begs of a couple of questions. We've seen what happened in Ottawa. The general manager is gone. Do we look to British Columbia and start to wonder about maybe that situation? There's a new owner there. Maybe he wants to change the course of the team because... They seem to be going backwards and backwards in a hurry. Yeah, things sure do change, don't they? When we were looking at BC playing against Saskatchewan, thinking this is a possibility of second place, and then they lost the game, Saskatchewan pulled it out right at the end. Since that time, we have seen BC go on a real slide, uh, and they just haven't been able to recover. And, And the question I think you posed, Don, is one that we definitely have to consider. Is it GM? Is it coaching as well? I think there's three teams... One's dealt with it in Ottawa, at least as far as the GM, but I do think both Edmonton and BC could be places where changes are still made. I don't want to pick on the guy, but Rick Campbell may have overstayed his welcome as a head coach. I, uh, At the time that Lon Claybrooks was fired, I thought it was too hasty, and I still wonder if that was a mistake by the Lions organization. And they have the tools. Granted that Lucky Whitehead is out right now, but one player should not make the team, and uh, they certainly have other talented receivers. I think they've got some running backs that are capable, and it just seems that they have consistently underperformed uh, as an offense. There seemed to be a, a slight glimmer for a period of time, but but since then, it, is it are they giving up on the coach? Do they not believe the schemes are right? And, and where is it falling? Because if it's about the players, then maybe we need to be making some changes. I'm not sure it is. I think you're right, Don. Rick Campbell just doesn't seem to be motivating this team at this point in time. And they don't seem prepared to play in some cases. This is Winnipeg, and I I know we have to always look at this with a grain of salt because they're such a dominant team in the league at this time. However, BC just does not seem to be coming with anything to a number of games in a row now. So it begs some questions about what's going wrong in British Columbia. Looking at the players that they have on that offense, Brian Burnham, Lucky Whitehead, you mentioned, is out with injury. They've now added Devere Posey. Lamar Durant has had a solid season. Javon Katoy is a big physical receiver as well. Michael Riley is a future Hall of Fame quarterback in this league. They've got the pieces and the results are not what they should be with the offensive weapons that they have. I, I believe the offensive line is still a big part of that. They seem to be struggling a little bit. James Butler had a 68 yard average carrying the ball, but that was only six carries for 41 yards. So they showed some flashes of of the ability to run the ball against Winnipeg. The scoreboard got away from them and they had to abandon the running game, I think, more than anything as well. And they just struggled all night to really get anything going. Campbell is co-general manager with Neil McAvoy. Jordan McSimmick, who came over from Edmonton, is the offensive coordinator. 
somewhere there's a disconnect in that team. How does a we know that if there's one player, at least in my heart, that I want on a field that will stand there in spite of everything, it's Michael Riley. He takes more hits and keeps coming, and yet he can't get anything going with that team. A guy that's routinely throwing for 300 yards a game is barely making 150. And we saw some frustration from Michael Riley this week as well. As I mentioned earlier, he was struggling all night. They pulled him in favor of Nathan Rourke to give him some reps. And Rourke went down injured and Michael Riley had to go back in. And this begs the question of dressing that third quarterback in CFL team. This is a prime example of where that third string quarterback would have got some quality playing time and you'd have been able to get Michael Riley out of the fire. Dwayne Ford went off on the uh, TSN broadcast discussing this. We've already seen Nate Bahar become a quarterback with Ottawa this season because they ran out of quarterbacks due to injury. Now we had a situation where if you had a third quarterback on the roster, he could have played the fourth quarter and it wouldn't hurt anything, but at least Michael Riley would be on the bench. I think the CFL has to redress this. They have to. They have to get a third string quarterback. And and even if you say, okay, by rule, the third string quarterback has to be the holder on field goals. Fine. Do that. Get him on the field that way. I think this is something that the league does have to look at as they come to the offseason because nobody wants to watch Nate Behar play quarterback for a team, to be honest. And I think if we're going to be developing quarterbacks for the future and, and we're seeing a transition of quarterbacks somewhat happening right now, we want to see quarterbacks have success. And the longer they're able to stand on the sideline, watch the game, learn from the game, the more likely they're going to be prepared to play when they get into a game. The final game of the evening was the Saskatchewan Rough Riders in Calgary. For Saskatchewan, it was the third game in a row against Calgary, but they had a bye where the Stampeders have played the entire time and in the interim played the British Columbia Lions in Vancouver. Going into the history books, this would be the first time since 1950 that Saskatchewan played a common opponent three straight times. At that time, it was the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Saskatchewan, who had lost the first two of this series to Calgary, used turnovers, some new-look defenses, some new-look players on defense, and defeat the Stampeders 20-17. to All three games against the Stampeders this year have come down to the last minute. This was really a must-win for the Riders. They couldn't afford to lose three straight to Calgary. We, we've seen Calgary go off on a little bit of a tear here and, and climb the ladder in this West Division. So for Saskatchewan to have any hopes of clinging to a home playoff date, this was the one that they needed to get. They got the win, and it's tightened up between them and Calgary really coming down the stretch here. BC really is on the outside looking in now as far as hosting a playoff game and they need to turn things around quickly otherwise we're looking at the top three teams in the west already and it's just a matter of Saskatchewan Calgary where they finish overall. At the end of the half Brett Lowther pooches the kickoff into a dead spot it bounces off a stampeder and Jacob Dearborn recovers it for the Rough Riders. What a golden opportunity and unfortunately for Lowther despite the greatness of that kickoff he misses the field goal at the end of the half at halftime, the Stampeders were leading 10-6, to but Saskatchewan puts together a huge second half on defense. Bo Levi-Mitchell finally cracks the 300 barrier. He goes 21-31 of 31 for 311 yards with a touchdown, but three interceptions, and they were massive. His counterpart on the other side, 
Rough Riders' Cody Fajardo goes 21 of 26 for 222, two touchdowns and one interception. Don, you spoke to it earlier, but the big key for me here was the Rough Rider defense seemed to throw some new things out. They had a bunch of newcomers in and, and a lot of success. You mentioned Dearborn before getting the uh, short kick when he recovered that that kick. But he also had an interception along with two other rookies and playing starting their first game in Damon Webb and Jeremy Clark. And it seemed to me that Bo Levi Mitchell just wasn't able to get his throws in. We've talked before about is it his shoulder, is it his leg? But he just wasn't able to drop the ball in on the one where Damon Webb dropped back and picked it off. It just seemed he underthrew him. He was wide open. If, if Bo Levi Mitchell could have snapped the ball in there, I don't think Webb would have come up with that. And he just seemed to be off at times all night long. And yet he still had 300 yards for the first time in a while. So, I mean, he was definitely slinging the ball. It just, at inopportune times, he pushed ones high on the Dearborn interception. He was short on the Webb one and uh, just not making the throws that we're accustomed to seeing him make. You bring up an excellent point, Pat. If you don't trust your shoulder, and if Mitchell was struggling with that, because he was throwing with the wind on those two picks that were short. You would think that it's got to be a question mark for the coaching staff. And then you begin to wonder, well, maybe should Jake Mayer have not played in the fourth quarter? It's hard to consider pulling a quarterback when he does throw for 300 yards. Like he had a fairly successful day. It was the interceptions and the turnovers that definitely cost him in, in this case. And I do think some credit has to go to the Ryder defense. They played very well, even at the end. When you had Cody Fajardo make a bit of a brain fart and, and take a time count violation when it should not have happened, the Ryder defense bailed them out in the fact that they made them move down. You know Bo Levi, when he gets the ball towards the end of the game, has the capability of moving down, but they made him move down the field slowly using the clock, which saved them in the end of the game. The other thing that saved them was that on third and two, a quarterback that runs maybe once a season decides to tuck the ball and run for it. To be fair, though, about this Mitchell thing, he didn't throw for 300 until late in the fourth quarter. That final drive where they scored their final touchdown, he picked up another 80 yards on that drive alone. Yes, good point. I don't want to bench him. There was a part of me as I watched that game, I thought Jake Mayer might just change things up enough to bring Calgary to victory. It's a really tough call down the stretch. I understand where you're coming from, Don, in thinking that Jake Mayer was worthy of a look in this game, but... Bo Levi Mitchell, despite not having 300-yard passing games, has brought the Calgary Stampeders back into contention in the West Division. How do you go away from somebody who has willed his way, helped carry this team back from a brutal start and get back into playoff contention to where they're fighting for second place overall? I think the one thing that may factor in here is that track record has been that Bo Levi Mitchell is a winner and he's able to pull things out. Even at the end of the game, they're still questionable. Could he potentially do it? The second thing is Jake Meyer, still a bit of a rookie quarterback. So at this point in time, until we see a pattern where Bo Levi Mitchell is not able to step up and do things, I think the coach does have to stand behind them. We talked about quarterbacks wanting to feel that they have their coach behind them. And as soon as you waver on that, I think you lose some confidence in your quarterback. To me, I think it was the right decision to leave him in. But if there's a pattern of games where we see him struggling, then I think the coach may lose some of that confidence. In. Second down. For the first time this season and the only time this season, we are going to have a complete schedule of four games of interlocking play. In years past, this would be commonplace, but because of the preponderance of intra 
divisional games as opposed to interdivisional games, these types of circumstances now will be less and less. We start with the Calgary Stampeders coming off the loss, facing the Ottawa Red Blacks, who also are coming off a loss. Stampeders are minus 10.5 on Friday night. These odds are powered by Bet Regal, and of course we thank them for that. This is a Tuesday night set of odds. And again, Stampeders minus 10.5 favorites, 42.5 over under. Thoughts, guys? Well, last week was her tough against the spread. There was one close game and everything else was a blowout. So if you were taking teams to cover, you did well last week. Ten and a half against Ottawa. The the poor black and blue Ottawa Red Blacks just can't seem to catch a break. And I don't see this one going really any other direction other than Calgary covering the 10.5 point spread. Calgary should be able to cover this one easily on this case with a 42.5 over under. Uh, It's going to depend on how much Ottawa can score, but I think that uh, we're most likely to see that one potentially go under just the way Ottawa has been performing as well. So that's where I'd be landing. Calgary will be smarting after losing to Saskatchewan at home. They will be highly motivated to win this game. Let's remember, too, I think it was the last time that the Stampeders were there. Ottawa famously took a safety touch, punted the ball away, thinking their defense would hold. Calgary went down and kicked the game-winning field goal and won the game, where had that safety touch not been given up, they would have only tied the game. The thing with Ottawa is they've got to get going fast and, and furious right off the top. It's all about confidence with the Red Blacks. We talked about how much their defense have to be on the field. I think it's just confidence. When the offense isn't doing enough, you start to wonder, oh, are we going to win? And you start to doubt. If there's sort of this feeling, oh, here we go again, that's when the trouble starts. And Ottawa, to avoid that, has to get going fast against Calgary. And I think the other thing that has to happen here is is Paul Lapolis has to show some confidence in one of the two quarterbacks. This two system where they went back and forth, I don't think is good for either quarterback. Uh, in this case, I think Caleb Evans has shown that he is the quarterback to go forward with. So... I'm, I'm hopeful that he gets this game and they take the opportunity in the last few games to really build his confidence and to see what he's capable of doing. There was a lot of hype about Devlin Duck Hodges coming into that last game and he didn't really have the kind of debut that Caleb Evans did. Now, Evans has certainly struggled after that big debut against the Edmonton Elks, but at this point, he does seem to be the quarterback that I would be more confident going in with. And we'll see if Hodges picks up some snaps if uh, Caleb Evans struggles early on. I don't know what you do with Hodges. Right now he's a duck out of water. He's not a good third down quarterback. So either he gets first and second down snaps or you don't bother with him at all and you leave Caleb Evans. If Caleb Evans had protection from that offensive line, his numbers would reflect far better upon him than they do now. And Caleb Evans has the ability to run and certainly has to run in, in Ottawa. And with his ability to run so far, I think he's a better option there because when he does actually throw, he's been completing a high percentage of his passes. It's just that very often he's pressured. If you're completing a high number of your passes while you're pressured, there's something to build on there. He looks good when he rolls out of the pocket and throws on the run. He's made some big plays. And if the receivers aren't there, he tucks and runs and gains positive yardage. If I'm Paul Lapolis, I'm looking at ways to kind of play to his strength a little bit more. The offensive line is struggling to 
protecting the pocket. So maybe they need to look at pulling more, get the pocket moving and roll Caleb Evans around a little bit and let him create some magic. The second game of the Friday night doubleheader sees the Hamilton Tiger Cats in Edmonton to take on the Elks. Hamilton, a minus 4.5 favorite over under of 43. After seeing what Hamilton did last week, I think that uh, 4.5 is being generous to Edmonton in this case. I think Hamilton should be able to cover that spread quite easily. 43 points. Edmonton has had some success, uh, even against Winnipeg, that you can see them put up some points. So I think I'd be taking an over on this one. I do think Hamilton should be able to carry this, particularly if we see Mazzoli play like he did last week. Jeremiah Mazzoli typically has very good games in Edmonton. Now, for those of you that don't know, he started his career there before he went to Hamilton. And he's always found that stadium to be quite comfortable to him. The one thing that's been going very well for the Elks has been their defense. So they are going to present some challenges. That defensive line is quite good. Taylor Cornelius, we know that the Tiger Cats are a ball-hawking team. And if Cornelius is giving up one too many interceptions, that could make it very difficult and a very long night for the Elks. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to probably go the same way Pat did on this one and, and pick Hamilton to easily cover that four and a half point spread and take the, the over, I think, 43 points. I wouldn't be surprised if Hamilton puts up 30 plus themselves here. So that leaves Edmonton to try to muster two touchdowns and they destroy the uh, over under on this one as well. We move to Saturday and the BC Lions are in Toronto to take on the Toronto Argonauts. Now the Argonauts smarting after that big thumping they took in Montreal still have designs on first place. Well, the Lions are basically fighting for their playoff lives. The Lions are plus 3.5 with an over-under of 45.5. The one thing that is going to dictate this game to me is how well Michael Riley recovers from that loss against the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. He was a frustrated quarterback, and if he comes out with a vengeance, I think the game is going to be close. However, I'm leaning towards Toronto bouncing back from that loss against Montreal. Chris Jones tightens up that defense a little bit. We saw some gaps in that game against the Alouettes as well. So I'm going to pick Toronto to cover the three and a half point spread in this one. And I'm going to say under the 45 and a half points. This game will be McLeod Bethel Thompson's first game this year where he is the bona fide starter and he needs a bit of a bounce back game as well as Michael Riley. So it is a question of which quarterback's really going to bounce back from this one. As we've seen BC struggle, I think that Toronto has generally been a better team. Toronto's defense, we've talked uh, a lot about, and they're a very strong defense. So I would agree with you, Heath. I'm definitely going to go on the under, and I think I've got to take Toronto in this game as well. The last game of the weekend sees the Saskatchewan Rough Riders finish the doubleheader on Saturday in the CFL in Montreal to take on the Alouettes, the Rough Riders Minus 1.5 favorites. Interesting. Over under a 46.5. Not a lot of respect shown for the Alouettes taking it to the Argos last time out. Rightfully, this is the closest game of the week, according to Bet Regal. One and a half point spread. And it's a little bit surprising in my mind that they're giving the road team the edge in this one. I think it's going to be a very, very tight game. 
And both of these teams, as we've talked about earlier in this podcast, have a lot to prove. And if they both have visions of finishing higher in the standings, then it's a must win. It's kind of a coin toss on this one. And, and the, the odds kind of reflect that as well. I would definitely take over 46 and a half. I think we're, we might be in line for a real exciting offensive game. And I'm going to give the slight edge to the Saskatchewan Rough Riders in this one. Cody Fajardo has the experience. He's coming off of a, a game where he looked a little bit more comfortable than he has in a number of weeks. That's going to lead the Rough Riders to victory. But I say it's a one-point game. It's a very small margin. The Rough Riders do not cover the one-and-a-half point spread. Uh, I, th- I think this is going to be a close game as well. Don, you talked about Toronto going up and down. We've seen that as well with Saskatchewan. Every time we come out and they think they're, they're favorites to win this game, they have laid eggs before. They're on the road in Montreal. Montreal just got a, a, a bit of a grasp on first place. And with Toronto looking at BC, I think Montreal is going to come out very motivated in this game. Well, I'd like to say Saskatchewan should be able to cover this. I think Montreal playing at home, where they've at times struggled, but but I think in this case, I think Montreal at home gives them an advantage in this game, and I think Montreal will win a close game in this case. So I, uh, I would take Montreal on this one. The over under it, it's a high number of points. I think defensively, as things get colder here, we may see this one go under. The last time these two teams met in Montreal was August the 9th of 2019. Not a significant date unless you remember that they did not finish the football game. The Rough Riders won midway through the third quarter when the game was finally halted due to lightning strikes in the area and the delay at that time was too long to resume the game. I don't think we're going to see a thunderstorm this Saturday that will impact the game. If Montreal can put it together the way they did against Toronto, and let's give that defense credit. We talked about it earlier. Greg Quick, ever since he's got there, that defensive front four is doing its job, and Baron Miles knows how to get that secondary working very well. And as defensive coordinator, he's starting to round these guys into form. This could be really interesting. You got Jason Shivers on the one side, who really came up with some creative ideas to beat the Stampeders and you've got Baron Miles on the other side this could be a real defensive struggle and the quarterbacks may not have a great day it may come down to which rushing game works better you'd have to give the edge to William Stanback and Montreal Alouettes if you're talking running backs I would think pool tracker results Heath where are we with them a new leader has emerged at the top of our pick'em pool Anilio Estevez has launched into the lead with 73 points dethroning Dini 13 who has been in that top spot for much of the season with uh, one point back at 72 points and Gromit 1996 has climbed back up into third place at 71 points. So really tight across the top of the standings. And for those of you following the three of us podcasters, it has tightened much closer here as well with Don Cherishman with 70 points and myself and Pat Mooney tied with 69. So one point separates the three of us. Throw a blanket over it and we'll see how we finish up coming down the stretch here. Third down. It's fantasy player pick time. Let's start with Pat. And please, can you give me your choices as of Tuesday night for quarterback and running back? You bet. I'm going to stick with the uh, Calgary against Ottawa theme in my first two picks. I'm going to take Bo Levi Mitchell, quarterback for 9,500. And I'm going to take Kadeem Carey at running back for 9,200. Heath? Pat and I often have similar looks to our teams at the top here anyway, and this week is no different. 
Bo Levi Mitchell and Kadeem Carey are the quarterback and running back of record for my team this week as well. I guess I'm going off the board. I'm going to take Jeremiah Mazzoli with the Tiger Cats in Edmonton, 11,100, and DJ Foster with the Argonauts at 6,800 against the BC Lions. Heath, your receivers. From the Toronto Argonauts, Ricky Collins Jr. at 8,300 against the BC Lions. And I've had to go bargain shopping a little bit on a couple of picks this week, so I'm going with Stephen Dunbar Jr. from the Hamilton Tiger Cats for 4300 I'm following suit with Ricky Collins Jr., but I'm going with Toronto's Devaris Daniels at 7800 as my other wide receiver. Pat? I'm going to take Malik Henry from Calgary as my wide receiver kick returner, and I'm going to take Kyran Moore as my wide receiver from Saskatchewan. Flex, Heath? Somebody from Ottawa has to do something at some point on offense this season, and my hope this week is that it's Nate Bahar against Calgary for 4800 anticipating a bounce-back game after three drops last week. Touchdown Jake Wenicky for the Montreal Alouettes at 8900 against the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. For myself, it's going to be Ryan Davis of the Red Blacks against the Stampeders, 6400 Price tag on Stephen Dunbar Jr. is just too cheap at 4300 to ignore. I'm taking him from the Tiger Cats. Pat? I'm going to take Ricky Collins Jr. after 11 targets last week. I'm thinking he's a good price at 8300 Got Ricky Collins Jr. from Toronto. And then I'm going to take Duke Williams. His price went up this week from 2500 uh, to 4000 But I am going to take Duke Williams with Saskatchewan as my other flex. Defense, Heath. I'm anticipating a bounce back after giving up 37 points last week. The Toronto Argonauts at 4800 against BC. I believe Chris Jones is going to have that defense back on track, and they are coming for Michael Riley. You can't ignore the Argonauts at home. They're undefeated there. Argonauts defense for me as well. Pat? I'm going to switch it up, and I'm going to stick with my Calgary theme and take Calgary on this one, playing against Ottawa, 5300. I think that should be good value. Final thoughts on this weekend's games. All interlocking, playoff implications everywhere. Things have certainly tightened up with the East Division especially, and this week is no different. There's some must-wins, and it's going to be really interesting having the East versus West in all four games because you don't have that control of what happens when you're playing against a division opponent. I'm looking forward to this week with the East being so tight. We have two teams in the East that could clinch playoff spots with wins, and that's both Montreal and Toronto. So I think these are big games for them. And Saskatchewan, I think they need a big win as well if they're going to have a chance at second place. Uh, They've got to pull a win here. So particularly, I'm interested in that Montreal-Saskatchewan game because both teams have a lot to lose if they don't win. Both divisions have tight races for second place. If Saskatchewan loses, Calgary and BC both win. There's one game separating all three. If Montreal-Toronto lose and Hamilton wins in the East, they are all tied at 6-5. and five. This is amazing. Thank you for listening to our show. Third Down Gamble is hosted on Podbean. Follow us on Twitter, where our handle is at Third Down Gamble. Join us again next time. The Third Down Gamble Podcast. Audio. Worth watching.